นะโพธัสสะบาคาวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมบุทธัสสะนะโมตัสสะบาคาวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมบุทธัสสะนะโมตัสสะบาคาวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมบุทธัสสะพุทธังธรรมังสังขังมาสามิสวัสดีลาวลีอินดีที่มีมาที่นี่ในจิตวิเวกมอนสตรีแอบกันได้ด้วยกันในงานแบบโควิดโควิดเฟสติวัลและพบเจอแล้วก็พบเจอหลายคนใหม่และคนใหม่ที่เราไม่เคยเจอมาก่อนแต่นี่เป็นงานที่น่าสนใจที่จะได้เจอกันและพูดคุยกันในวันนี้ในขณะที่อาจารย์อิงกุสโคได้เน้นย้ำว่าในวันนี้เป็นวันที่ดีที่สุดที่จะเฉลิมฉลองสิ่งที่ดีที่สุดที่จะเฉลิมฉลองสิ่งที่ดีที่สุดที่จะเฉลิมฉลองสิ่งที่ดีที่สุดที่จะเฉลิมฉลองสิ่งที่ดีที่สุดที่จะเฉลิมฉลองสิ่งที่ดีที่สุดที่จะเฉลิมฉลองสิ่งที่ดีที่สุดที่จะ And so, all uh, credit, appreciation to the the, uh, the work that's gone into decorating everything, and these beautiful flower arrangements and uh, embellishments of the hall here for this uh, this occasion. So today, um, one of the uh, couple of things have been on my mind, and as we were coming down in the the van from Amravati this morning. Um, uh, I was noticing that on my mind. Uh, I don't know if all of you know people who are familiar with Ajahn Gandasilo, who is an English bhikkhu who has uh, been or uh, was ordained for 33 years. Uh, he passed away about two or three days ago in Thailand. Uh, he was resident here at Chittaviveka at some time, also Amravati for quite some time, and had been living in Thailand in recent years. So he he had had a lot of physical problems over the last few years. Particularly lung problems, breathing problems, and uh, sadly uh, passed away uh, uh, from his uh, illnesses there at his uh, monastery in, in Thailand. And also today happens to be my mother's birthday. If she was still alive, she'd be 102 today. Wow. Uh, ooh, <laughs> yeah. So, so she was born in 1920. So those people have been on my uh, on my mind uh, today, reflecting on them and. Uh, And also on um, the 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 kind of legacy that uh, the people, a good people, uh, the unsung people of the the world can bring in with their lives. Both uh, Ajahn Gandasila was a, was a one who loved the natural world uh, very profoundly, very deeply. He planted a lot of trees. I'm not sure if he planted a lot here. He certainly planted quite a few at Amravati. And, um, and my mother was a very very avid gardener. Um, And that, uh, but neither of these people—they—they they didn't uh, start any great institutions. They didn't write any uh, any books. They didn't have their name inscribed on any kind of monuments. Um, and uh, and so uh, I've been reflecting on the 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 impact, the legacy of quiet lives that are led skillfully uh, and nobly uh, and effectively. But yet, uh, how much the world tends to dwell upon sort of making your mark or, or trying, to, trying to be somebody, have your thinking that you've got to somehow perform in, in a special way to have people notice you or remember you, or <laughs> that you're afraid that your your name will be lost uh, to history or you'll be forgotten. You want to 
carve our, 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 our niche in the edifice of time, as it says in Mary Poppins. <laughs> that was the first LP I ever owned was Mary Poppins. So it's, it's still etched into my memory all the words from the, the songs from Mary Poppins. So carving our niche in the edifice of time comes from um, one of the, those songs. So I feel it's, it's important when we think about doing good and the, um, our, our purpose in life or what we can do with our life is so uh, often also being in the role of, of teaching or a spiritual reference point for people. Often as people are getting older, they, feel, they often say, I haven't done anything with my life or I I'm, I'm done, haven't done anything special or my life's been a bit of a, bit of a waste really. And I feel it's quite sad that people, we can look upon our, our lives in, in those ways and to, um, in a sense, not appreciate the, the, the value of the, the, uh, the good that we do along the way, even if it, not every tree that Ajahn Gandasilo planted has got, this was planted by Ajahn Gandasilo. <laughs> it, no, it's the, the, but the trees, those trees are living, and they have produced their own flowers and seeds and passed on, and other trees have grown forth from those, and that just in that, in that aspect of the material world, the legacy of Ajahn Gandasila's life as a monk, just in the, in the living, growing world, is, is carrying on in, in many different places. My, my mother, as I said, was a very avid gardener. She was also quite possessive of her garden, so when she, they, they sold the house where I grew up in Kent and they moved to, to a different village, my mother dug up most of the garden, put it in plastic bags, <laughs> moved it to the new place, and then when she moved down to the West Country to Dorset, the garden got dug up and put into plastic bags and moved down to the West Country. And then when she died, then her garden got divided up between Amravati and my elder sister in Twickenham and my younger sister also down in, in Dorset. So, and the, the seeds and the, the offshoots of those plants are spreading all through southern England vigorously. And, uh, I'm sure that my, my mother's probably in some earth spirit realm keeping close eye on all her offspring. <laughs> she, was, uh, she was well known. My mother was a, a remarkable person and even as she was close to death, she, uh, uh, there was a, rain, a sudden rainstorm in the middle of the night and uh, my sister was staying with her and it was something like about midnight or one in the morning and she heard mum bumbling around in the dark. What are you doing? Found our mother in, a, in her nightdress and a raincoat and uh, the rainstorm had brought the snails out and the snails were attacking her roses. <laughs> so literally, she was about a month before she died. She's out picking snails off the roses to sort of export them over the fence. At one o'clock in the morning, she couldn't. See, she was blind. She couldn't see, but she wasn't going to let the snails have her roses. So she was very caring and protective of her her offspring. So I do feel that it's it's important to um, to not measure our life in whether we've uh, we've started institutions or we're sort of become been a famous teacher or doctor or written books or had uh, our name on various buildings, but um, to be recognizing that it's. It's the legacies beyond the personal, I would say, that, that really matter. That it's not the things that have our name on, but who we are as, as people, how we affect each other. And those, in a sense, those quiet, silent legacies that we pass on through the way that we speak, the way that we relate to others, our, uh, our, uh, our kind of insignificant acts of kindness and, and unselfishness. Those are the things that really make a difference, I would suggest. There's a poem I once came, came across many years ago, and I've never been able to find out who wrote it. It was in a, uh, a Buddhist magazine about 35 years ago. 
I thought I would share with, with you today because that came to mind uh, reflecting on Ajahn Gandasilo and the, the ending of his life and, and my mother's birthday today. So it's very short. <laughs> it, it goes, Like water unconcerned does only what it can, unexalted, all-sustaining, brings its gift and passes on. Like water unconcerned does only what it can, unexalted, all-sustaining, brings its gift and passes on. And I was so struck by that. I thought, that's kind of an advice for life. <laughs> if we can live in that way, unexalted, nothing special, don't have to be kind of out, uh, out in front or being uh, in a very public position. I say being in a very public position. <laughs> but you, you get my theme, anyway. That... Uh, that unexalted, all-sustaining, like water. You know, water doesn't have an owner. It doesn't got anybody's name. It's not anybody's. Water isn't anyone's achievement. It's just water. But without water, without these beautiful rains we've been having now recently and freshening everything up, greening everything, where would we be? Our body is a seventy percent water. The, the, we had this uh, substantial period of drought during the summertime, and things were, were parched and dying off. So. But water, water is, is un, unexalted, but all-sustaining. It brings its gift and it passes on. And I feel that we can aspire to live our lives in that way. You know, sometimes our names are on things, on buildings or books, or, or uh, we are appointed to being a head, of a head doctor or a teacher, or, or uh, it's a, a big anniversary or something, and our name is writ large. But I would say that the, it's those uh, unexalted... <laughs> Quiet, but, uh, but profoundly nourishing aspects of our life that are that are the things that, that really matter. And uh, as uh, one of uh, Lumpur Sumedho's most recent books is called, uh, "Don't Take Your Life Personally." That if we don't, <laughs> if we don't emphasise or make too much of that personal aspect, but to instead just um, uh, Bring our attention onto what we do, how we do it, the, the way we work in the world, the way we communicate, uh, the everyday acts of, commu- of communication, the everyday acts of, of kindness and caring. That uh, These are the things that, that really matter. We don't have to have a, you know, <laughs> look what I did, I'm so special. You know? Because if we get inflated about the good things that we do or, or feeling that we've got to have a, a life that is somehow noticeable or, or acknowledged by, by, by others then also when we make mistakes or, or things go badly for us and we're overwhelmed by ideas, oh, they, think I'm, they all think I'm an idiot, I got that wrong, uh, everyone will hate me, I'm such a fool, that really didn't work. So if we attach a lot of self-view to our actions, whether positive or negative, then it brings uh, a lot of difficulty and, uh, and stress. But if we don't take our life personally, to borrow Lumpur Sumato's words, if we... Um, see life more from a a Dhamma-centered or a nature-centered perspective rather than a self-centered perspective, then uh, it it makes uh, life much more spacious, much more easeful. And when when things go well, when the the actions that we we take, the work that we do is successful, we don't get drunk on success or feel very inflated or proud. We say, oh, well, that uh, that worked out. That building didn't fall down. That's good. (laughs) That... uh, that uh, was something that's benefited people, good. We can enjoy the sweetness of things going well. And when things go pear-shaped, as they say, things, uh, things go uh, not according to plan or have uh, painful or awkward results, uh, 
then say, okay, well that didn't work. <laughs> uh, let's learn from that. So rather than than taking it all personally and uh, uh, and making it all about me and and how uh, people think what people think about me or how I'm regarded or how I want to be uh, want to be seen, rather it's uh, it's taken from a, a non-personal point of view. It's taken from a dhamma point of view, and so whether things go well or things go badly, we can we can learn from both of those. Well, thinking about uh, generosity, uh, as uh, again, as uh, Ajahn Hingsko has been mentioning, and uh, people know the, the Katina Festival is a lot about generosity. There's the giving of material gifts, the, um, the offering of, of things to support the monastery, or uh, very um, abundant financial donations, much appreciated to keep, the, uh, keep paying the bills and uh, keep the, uh, the buildings in good repair. Um, also, Taking the, the precepts is also a kind of offering. I like to emphasize that even though we might think of the precepts as a, a list of things that we're not supposed to do, kind of a set of limitations, the Buddha also called the five precepts the five great gifts, the five mahadana. Because if we choose, uh, we set the intention to, to not take life, to be harmless, then, uh, as the Buddha says in one particular teaching, then we, uh, by taking that precept, we bestow upon innumerable creatures freedom from distress, freedom from suffering, freedom, uh, freedom from fear. Uh, it's a bhayadana, it's a giving of fearlessness. If we take the precept of not stealing, uh, and not engaging in sexual misconduct, not lying, not using intoxicants in a similar way, we give uh, freedom from fear, freedom from distress, uh, freedom from anxiety to innumerable beings, and we also give to ourselves that same kind of freedom. That's a natural result. So keeping the precepts is also a kind of generosity. So that's called abhayadana, the giving of fearlessness. So uh, I feel that's an important kind of, of, of offering, a kind of gift that we can make. And also reflecting on these themes, I, I feel that one of the most important kinds of generosity that we can practice is not being selfish. The, to not be uh, uh, seeing things from a self-centered perspective, as I was just saying. And that, that I would take to be a, a great kindness, that sense of training the mind, using the meditation, using the capacity to wisely reflect upon our opinions, our attitudes, to not see things in personal terms, but to, to let go of selfish uh, self-centered habits, self, uh, self-centered biases, which is so easy for our mind to get lost in. And that that kind of unselfishness is a generosity. Again, like uh, keeping the precepts, it makes a very easeful, spacious, and uh, say pleasant environment for ourselves and also for the people and the other beings that we live with. If we take things personally, then <laughs> it... it uh, it, uh, we find our uh, feelings of great isolation, alienation, and uh, we find ourselves judging others, judging ourselves, and it's a, a stressful and, and painful way to live. If we let go of self-view, that sakaya uh, ditti, if that is something that we use the meditation to keep noticing how much the mind thinks in terms of I wish, I like, I don't like, I approve, I don't approve, yeah, I want, I should, I shouldn't. <laughs> Well, or what you, how you should be, uh, uh, what I want from you. The more the mind thinks and, and creates self and other and 
forms self-view in a, uh, a solid way, the more alienated, the more insecure, the more, uh, more anxious and, and stressful life is. If we can recognize, use the meditation, mindfulness and meditation, to recognize that habit and to, to recognize we, there isn't that, it's not necessary, it's not uh, obligatory to think always in terms of I and me and mine. The, it's, it's a habit of mind, it's a condition of mind. And if that's let go of all that eye-making and mind-making, then life gets a lot more spacious uh, and a lot more useful. Uh, again, I was reflecting on this theme uh, uh, to earlier today and how I was remembering a, a conversation I had with, um, with uh, somebody, at uh, one of the Sangha members at Amravati a while ago. And uh, they were asking about you know, what sort of uh, principles do you have in, in mind when you, you're trying to run a monastery or you are, <laughs> you're in the role of, of abbot of a monastery and, um, uh, and so one of the things that uh, I, uh, I found myself emphasizing was that say it's, if you're in a position of leadership it's very important not to have favorites again I would see that's an aspect of, of uh, self-view of favoritism, this person I like, this person I don't like I like to be with this one, I don't like to be with that one this one's easy to be with, this one's difficult to be with. And uh, the more that I choose who I want to be with, or I judge this person as good and that person is not so good, and we believe in those judgments, then we find uh, ourselves in a, a very, uh, uh, say, stressful and, and um, confining, challenging world. Um, but if, we, uh, if we're very uh, even and completely fair in terms of of the, the way we relate to others, especially if you're in a position of authority, leadership, a parent, or a, you're running a, a, an office or a business, or you're working in a school or a hospital or uh, wherever we might be, uh, that principle of, of fairness is, uh, is, uh, is extremely important. No one gets special treatment, no favorites, no biases. And when I, I was uh, talking about that, I began to consider, well, yeah, that's really, that's a very deeply embedded principle in my mind. Where did I get that from? And uh, not to, to dwell on my mother, <laughs> but uh, um, uh, my parents. I realized, I think I got that from my parents because it was, I have two elder sisters and it was always absolutely, even Stevens, as they say, the three of us. We were very different characters, very, very different characters, <laughs> the three of us. But each of us had completely equal treatment. No one, no one had any special favors. We were all treated absolutely equally. Everyone was given uh, a fair share, and that uh, there was no favoritism ever shown. And it wasn't until many, many years later that, um, uh, in talking with my sisters, I f- uh, found out that it was uh, in comments that were overheard <laughs> that it was challenging for our parents to to be so to be so fair, and that they, it wasn't always easy for them. But I thought, yeah, that was so helpful growing up, that sense of, of, uh, of, of uh, say, equality and fairness. Everyone gets, a, everyone gets a, a equal treatment. Uh, no, one is, no one is special. We're all, we're all seen in, in the same light. We're all looked after with the same love, the same care, the same attention. So I feel that's something that we can give. That's a kind of gift, is to let go of those habits. Of course... <laughs> Uh, we have natural preferences. You know, some of us like sweet, some of us like bitter, some of us like blue, some of us like pink, some of us like beige or purple, green. <laughs> you know, some of us like you know, six different shades of white. <laughs> uh, we, tastes vary, but 
the mind that says, you know, that's good and that's right uh, and that's bad and that's wrong, to develop the quality of mindfulness and awareness to say, well, that's the mind making a judgment, but can I live with that color? Can I live with that flavor? Can I live with that personality? And we find that there's a, we can find space in the heart to be with things that we don't particularly like, but we don't have to, to be biased against them. We can be with things that we like, and we don't have to own them or possess them or, 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 uh, or make the, something special out of them. And I feel that's a gift. That, uh, in terms of giving, it's not like giving flowers or, <laughs> or, uh, or uh, making uh, financial offerings to the temple. But in terms of our lives, giving that unbiased attitude and that fairness to each other in the family, in the workplace, on, on the road, <laughs> the, the, the other cars that we share the road with, other people on the train or the tube, uh, the people that we share the, our lives with. That's a, a beautiful gift we can give to each other. Uh, also, uh, considering that um, the, these kind of influences from uh, from my mother in particular, my, my dad travelled a lot, so the, my mother was definitely the <laughs> the, uh, the major influence in the home and much sort of closer to us as, as children. And... Uh, Another of the, the aspects that I feel is uh, that I inherited from her that's very, very helpful is um, that sense of uh, no expectation. Uh, again, in another conversation with somebody at Amravati, uh, I remember um, uh, they were uh, just talking about life in the community, and uh, I just made the comment, I'm never disappointed by anyone. I'm not trying to make any sort of claims about any sort of great spiritual attainment. I said, I, yeah, I never feel disappointed by anybody. And they kind of look startled. I said, and, yeah, I never feel betrayed or disappointed or let down. And I can still remember the expression on this person's face, like, <laughs> completely, like, I could feel, I think there's a family history here. <laughs> I interpreted from that look in this person's face, like, What? And it was a kind of matter-of-fact comment from, from, from me that, yeah, I, I, don't, I never feel disappointed. I never feel let down or betrayed by anybody ever, really. And I sort of thought, is that true? And I thought, yeah, that's right. I, I, never, I never feel disappointed. I can be irritated. <laughs> Irritation can arise, so that's you know, no, uh, no pretense there. But uh, uh, I, I don't feel betrayed uh, that anyone's ever betrayed me or let me down or disappointed me. And, uh, and so this, it, it led to an interesting conversation between us. And, um, and I could see, oh, this person's obviously got, had a lot of expectation from their family uh, and their, or their, the world they grew up in. And a lot of sense of, you know, you've let me down or you've, uh, you're not doing your, your, your bit or you're not, you haven't tried hard enough or you're, you're a big disappointment to me. That kind of um, message. And so, uh, and again, thinking, that, well, that's interesting. That was... That was so startling, that look of, of, of <laughs> rank astonishment in that person's face, like, that it was even humanly possible to not ever feel let down or disappointed in anyone. But, oh, that's interesting. So where does that come from? And I tried to think back when, when to, I thought, well, maybe that comes from my family too. I'm not trying to present my parents as great wise say, sages or saints, but uh, I do feel they, they uh, that, and particularly my mother, was an extraordinarily unselfish person and very very naturally wise and good-hearted very kind not just for snails and <laughs> for the for the rose bushes and the uh, she wouldn't kill the snails she just exported them over the over the fence 
she, but uh, that sense, do, do I ever, can I ever remember either of my parents saying, you know, you've, you've let us down, or you've let me down, or you're a, you're a disappointment, or you've, you've, um, uh, you're a disgrace to the family name. I thought, I can't remember ever. I've got quite a good memory. <laughs> did they ever, ever, did they ever say that to me? Did I ever hear that? Did I ever get that kind of, uh, that, that input? And I thought, I don't think I ever did. Yeah, I misbehaved a lot, so there was a lot of like, you did what? <laughs> I won't go into details. <laughs> Particularly as a teenager, I had a colourful teenage life. But uh, there, was, there wasn't that kind of, you know, you've, you've failed us, or you've let, you let us down, you're a big disappointment. And, uh, and reflecting on that, I thought that was marvellous, that they, that they, obviously my parents cared about us kids, but... They gave us the space to be who we who we were. That they didn't burden us with expectations. You've got to be like this, or you've got to pass these exams, or you've got to do this to to sort of represent the family well. It was just they were they were happy for us to to do what we did and, and find benefit in the the things that we uh, we put our time and energy into. But uh, it was uh, it was very caring, but not filled with expectations. So that sense of not. Uh, Having a lot of expectations of others, to, uh, to there was a way that we can care for each other and love each other and give time and attention to each other, but not uh, create a lot of expectations. And I feel that's that's uh, something very, very, very beneficial, very helpful for us. We can easily do that as human beings. That we can feel that uh, we can say that I'm doing this for you. <laughs> Uh, and you, you should be representing the, the the team in a good way, or you should be, um, say, uh, representing the, the 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 family or the the the, the group, the monastery. <laughs> the it, it, you should be performing in this kind of a way, and uh, to to dwell upon that uh, is not helpful. I would say, I would suggest to give each other space to uh, to our parents, our children, the people that we work with, to give each other space to be who we are, to and to. Um, not be judging people in according to our own fixed views and attitudes and expectations, and, uh, and then we, we find that you know again that if we function in that way, that life is is very spacious, very open. Uh, the last thing uh, again, sort of just uh, considering the, these sort of in- inheritances, these sort of legacies uh, of uh, attitude that I, I feel that. Uh, helpfully inherited and thought I would pass on, is that sense of owing things, being in debt. And again, uh, when, uh, in, in Buddhist tradition, then we talk about having a debt of gratitude to our parents. The Buddha said, if you carried your mother on one shoulder and your father on the other shoulder and you carried them around till they were aged, until uh, you, you carried them through every difficulty until their excrement was running down your back, but still you carried them around, you couldn't repay the debt of gratitude that you owe to them. But if, you, if your parents are stingy and you establish them in generosity, if they're unwise and you establish them in wisdom, if they're unvirtuous and you establish them in virtue, if they are unlearned and you establish them in learning, and if they're... Un, yeah, if they are... Um, there's a fifth one I'm not remembering. <laughs> but uh, if you establish them in these qualities, then you can repay that debt of gratitude. So I made the, uh, the, the, the comment one day about um, wanting to repay the debt of gratitude that I owed to my parents. My mother gave me this look and said, what are you talking about, debt? 
And I said, well, you know, the debt of gratitude that I, I owe you for spending, you know, you were incredibly hardworking, bringing us all up, taking care of us and doing everything you could for us. He said, why do you call it a debt? Where do you get that from? I said, well, it's in the Buddha's teaching. Buddha, it's going to give you this sort of scowled at me. And, and I, won't, I won't repeat what she said, but the air went slightly blue at that point. She was in the British Army during the war, so she, could, she had a, a ripe range of language she could draw upon. So she made it clear that she was not impressed with that particular aspect of Buddhist philosophy. And said, it's not a debt, it's, not, it's the most wonderful thing I've been able to do in my whole life, is bring you, bring you up, so you, you and your sisters. So why do you call it a debt? That's, Buddhism is stupid. And I thought, good point, Mum. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe that, uh, that word debt, is, uh, there's more dimensions to that to, than, than uh, that I was considering. And, that, uh, and again, that sense of of um, doing what you do and not expecting people to owe you. Uh, that uh, we, uh, we can uh, act and help each other, work for each other, look out for each other. But again, not having expectations, that sense of not being owed anything, that again makes the, uh, our life very, very spacious. If, if, if uh, I'm giving this Dhamma talk so that you will help, <laughs> uh, you will help me or you'll, uh, you'll have a, I'll get a particular result from you, it's not really a Dhamma talk. It's... A, it's a, it's a, uh, it's a, uh, a kind of a business deal. You know, I'll do this for you. You've got to do something for me. It's a, it's a business arrangement. It's, you know, in some way, it's like even saying the words, you feel. Ugh. <laughs> but uh, a, dumb, a dumb talk is not, there's nothing. It's just given. It's, it's, uh, it's offered, and then whatever is taken from that, it's fine. That's why we never charge for anything. That's why things are given freely. All our, our books, the accommodations, everything is just given, and. Uh, I feel that's a, a very beautiful principle. Also, to bring into our relationships, the way we relate to our, our parents, our children, our siblings, the people, our spouses and fellow monastics, <laughs> the people that we work with, uh, the people we share and other beings we share this, this life with, to not carry around that sense of, uh, you know, that uh, I'll do this for you, so therefore you've got to do this for me, quid pro quo, as they say in Latin. It's a, a very narrow and uncomfortable kind of, ooh, <laughs> It's, it's a business arrangement. It's not, it's not a heartful or, or spacious, uh, uh, liberated, liberating way to operate, but rather just do what you do and then let the, the world make of it what it will. If, if things come back to you, fine. If they don't, fine. It's not, it's not being, give, things are not given or things are not done in order to get some kind of return. It's a, it's a joyous, it's an act of joyous giving, either. Uh, sharing a talk or, or um, any kind of work that we can do to help you know all of you have been preparing mountains and mountains of food I hope you all had a good a good lunch there was ta- you know, I thought, how many more tables of food this is no one is going to go hungry today this is <laughs> abundant so you know that, that that kind of joyful giving that's a, a, a beautiful and noble skillful way to, to operate so I thought I'd pass on these these particular Principles, um, just as again as a, a, um, a quiet legacy or a, 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 a um, that a, a nourishing legacy from from my own uh, uh, family's conditioning that my mother never wrote any books <laughs> uh, was not a, a spiritual teacher but I feel that so much of, of her manner of functioning in the world has informed a lot of the the way that uh, I, I lived and, and I feel so grateful for the wonderful example and uh, the extraordinary um, 
strength of, of support and kindness, goodness that she, she brought into my life and I hope to, I can sort of convey to, and pass on to, to others and this, this kind of good example. But uh, going back um, to you know, this, this occasion, you know, it's autumn time and uh, so the, the leaves are falling, the acorns are on the ground and the, end, the year is sort of drawing to its close. We changed the clocks this morning so the, the light element is reducing, the dark is increasing, and so that um, in this time of the year, it's a, it's a time of, of things coming to an end, also uh, Ajahn Gandasilo's life suddenly ending in, in Thailand and the sense of loss, and uh, I feel it's also, um, at this time of the year, it's, it, uh, and uh, as for all of us, the aging process continues, uh, and that we are um, we're all getting older i just found out from uh, sam the uh, sam and hillary now have nine grandchildren <laughs> and i think uh, tony halter said he's got five i think it was the the, the next generations are <laughs> of uh, the people who are around in the very earliest days of, of chithurst monastery the next generations are uh, are carrying on just like the the as the the season changes, as the the those of us who are around in the late seventies were getting grizzled and grey-haired, <laughs> the next generation comes along. So that the oak trees shed their leaves, the acorns fall. But even though that can seem like a fading time of the year, or and we might look at our aging process and think, oh, um, it's not so not so flexible. It can't hear very well, and you know, it takes uh, takes ages just to get my coat on. You know, we can feel uh, oh. This is something that we, 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 we resent or complain about, but uh, our aging is part of a whole natural process, so along with the, uh, the aging of this body and, and uh, the, the people who uh, were around the very beginning, earliest days of Chithurst, there's a whole new generation coming along, just like the acorns that fall, are falling into the ground. And then a number of those acorns will grow up into fresh oak trees and keep the... Uh, the, the forests of uh, around Chittas sprouting and growing for, for many many years to come. So uh, I feel we, it's important uh, to keep our aging and our loss of faculties and and also not just the physical body, but those things in our life that are, are sort of fading and and aging. To to not just dwell upon that or take that in a personal way. Like, oh, life used to be so good. Now I'm so old. I'm so decrepit, and it's um, but to see, uh, to not take that personally, and to, to see that uh, the the aging of the body and the you know the, within the process of living, yeah, this is the way the cycles go, and these these bodies get older, but the you know the next generation comes along. Uh, we we age, we fade, and one day there'll be an outbreath and no inbreath. <laughs> that's the way it is for every single one of us. It's that's not anything going wrong. That's how how things are, how things are, and uh, that's the way nature works. So if we can observe the cycles of nature and this thing, oh, you know, the, the days are getting so short, or it's getting colder, yeah, it's getting darker, oh, I don't like the winters, or, or we don't like getting older, or you know, can't see so well, can't hear so well, can't move so well, oh, don't like it. To, to not take that personally, but to say, well, duh, you know, I've been around for 60 years, 70 years, 80 years, of course it's like this, nothing's gone wrong, this is just Nature, this is what nature does. And that if we don't take it personally, if we see our life in, the, in that context of natural cycles, then even though it 
there's still some aches and pains and things that don't work so well, but we, there isn't that feeling of wrongness or badness or anything being out of order. And that's what dukkha is. That's that, that the quality of suffering is what the mind, that feeling of wrongness or badness that the mind adds on to that. So if we if we look at the cycles of nature and see like the falling leaves and the the, the changing season, rather than thinking of it as a loss or anything um, anything sad, just like the the falling leaves of our, <laughs> our hair dropping out or the wrinkles multiplying or the everything going south. <laughs> The, that strange old person, kind of haggard old person, looking out of the mirror first thing in the morning, like, "Who's he? Where did he come from?" <laughs> so, but uh, there's there's nothing wrong in that, there, and there's no there's no loss I- in that. It's this is nature doing its thing, just as the season comes and the the leaves fall, then the, but the leaves that fall rot and turn into the soil that nourishes the next generation. So. If we learn to look at our life and uh, the aging process and, and the living process, we don't take it personally if we see it from a Dhamma-centered perspective. Then uh, as the changes come, rather than, oh no, I've lost, a, you know, something else has gone, I've lost another thing, or, or I'm even more diminished, um, that we don't, we don't take those changes as a diminution, as something being lost or something unfortunate. It's nothing... Uh, we're not uh, we're not diminished by that. The, uh, to to quote another poem, as a line I think from a a poem of Rumi's, "When were you ever made any the less by dying? When were you ever made any the less by dying?" It's just, yeah, things change. Hair falls out. Life begins. Life ends. So, what, what what's been lost really? You know, the the life uh, life carries on, and that. Uh, when the mind is is really awake and, and unattached and uh, unidentified with the, with our, our faculties, our personality, the, the the things that we do, then we uh, we see that um, there's a, a freedom, there's an ease, there's a spaciousness in, in life, and that we're uh, uh, at home with those changes. There's nothing that's limiting or binding or or uh, problematic with with any of that. So I offer these thoughts for consideration on this uh, Katina day, and so may some of these words be useful, and uh, those that are, take them with you, those that are not useful, please leave them behind. Hey, one.